Hi, it's Katie with Bountiful Living. Hope everyone's having a great day. I tell you, my mind <laughs> is in a world. I have so much that I am eager to share with you today. We're right in the middle of studying the book of Ezra. And actually, I wouldn't even say we're in the middle. We're, we're at the very, very beginning. And I want to pause for a moment. Because some of you may not know, you may not understand or realize why we're looking at an ancient text like Ezra. What does it have to do with our life? In doing a quick search, this was the only book of the Bible holding the word revival. Ezra 9.8 says, And now for a little while grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. And that's referring to them returning to Israel, returning to the promised land from their place of captivity. And to give us a peg, he continues, in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. It's been two days since I recorded the introduction to this study on Ezra and this conversation about revival. There's so many questions surrounding it. And for anyone who's never heard or understood this, the Old Testament was God's what is considered Old Covenant, the first covenant that he made with humanity. And if you've heard of pastors talking about the new covenant that we have in Jesus, that is what we're living under today. Hebrews is a fantastic book of the Bible. While the author who wrote it is pretty debatable, many people think it is Paul because it's in his style. It's also possible that it was one of his close pupils because there's so much of the way that the author speaks that sounds a lot like Paul. And of course, people would often imitate a teacher if you're their student. But Hebrews was a book written to the Jews to help them understand this new covenant. Because a lot of them, even though they had witnessed Jesus, they had witnessed his miracles, the signs, his death on the cross, his resurrection, all of the miracles surrounding his life and his ministry, even though they, many of them had heard from Jesus personally, they were struggling to shift between the old and the new. And so that's what this book is all about, is helping them understand Christ. And it's something I feel is important for you to know today, for you to understand, Christian, who we are in this new covenant. We know Jesus is our high priest. We also are priests. Romans 12, starting at verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. We are a living sacrifice. We 
are, what burns on that altar. Our worship, our praise. As believers, we die to the old self and we are made new in Christ. Hebrews tells us that the place where the priests serve is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That verse right there, my friends, tells you why all of this stuff in Leviticus, all of the old ways, quote unquote, of doing things is something we want to pay attention to as believers. Because the temple, the holy place, is a copy and shadow of heaven. It's not insignificant. It's knowledge we need to understand how we are to die to ourself and pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. You may already know it, <laughs> who you are in Christ. But as we continue studying this word, the old covenant and the new, I feel these things are important to define God's expectations for his people. There's a reason that I've taken this time to do a little detour here in Hebrews. As I was thinking and processing everything that I've learned in the last several days and just all the stuff going on in the world and in my own heart and mind, this message is so important. It's so relevant to us today. For those of you who have never asked Jesus into your heart, you can do that today by repenting, calling on the name of Jesus, believing that he was the Son of God, that he was raised from the dead, and that through him we have eternal life. There's so much more on the website if you want to check it on. Check it out on how to know Jesus at bountifulliving.net. But I think the majority of my audience are those who are believers. Now, maybe you're remembering and thinking about that moment of salvation, that first joy that you had in Christ. And I want to ask, has that flame continued to burn? Or have you remained in your infancy, in your walk with Christ? Have you matured? Have you spent time growing in your relationship with God? Israel was so excited when the temple was completed. I was looking in my study of Israel's entire history. There is so much in the Bible. I feel like it could never end. <laughs> and what I've just shared with you about our reading in Romans, that we are the sanctuary. God lives in us. His very presence, something that the people in the Old Testament could only experience from coming to the temple and not even being in the Holy of Holies, but being on the outside. There's a beautiful prayer if you want to read it. I want to so badly, but I don't think I'd keep everyone's attention. It's in Second Chronicles 6 when the temple, the first one before the need for rebuilding, was built. And Solomon prayed a prayer of dedication for it. I'll pick up in verse 36 where he says to God, When these people sin against you, he puts in quotes, For there's no man who doesn't sin. And you are not angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they may take them away to a land far or near 
if they take thought of the land where they are taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. If they return to you, God, with all of their heart, with their soul, in the land of their captivity where they have been taken captive and toward their land, which you have been given to their fathers and the city which you have chosen and toward the house which I, Solomon, have built for your name, then God hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, their prayer, their supplications, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open, your ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Solomon is speaking this as he is dedicating the temple to God. Now, therefore, God, to your resting place, the ark of your might. Let your priests, O God, be clothed with salvation. Let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. O Lord, do not turn away your face of your anointed and remember your loving kindness to your servant David. Now in chapter 7, we're going to continue. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, my friends, the word revival is not in those pages. But yet, we will see that when people have come humbled, asking for repentance of their sin and worshiping the God, worshiping God, God inhabits the praises of his people. He hears our prayers. Revelation says something incredible about what our prayers are to God. I'll read that verbatim here in a little bit. I can't find it in my notes. But basically, our prayers are like incense. That's what it is right now today. This system, this way of worshiping God is a copy of heaven. And so when we look at Revelation, which is the end, those are the things that have yet to come. In the disciple John's vision, he sees that the prayers of the saints are powerful and mighty and incense before the Lord. Back to Second Chronicles 7-2, the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house. All the sons of Israel seeing this fire come down, the glory of the Lord, and this is called, um, this is a term for this, the Shekinah glory of God filled the house. It says, all the sons of Israel bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped, giving praise to the Lord, saying, truly he is good, truly his loving kindness is everlasting. This was revival. Verse 4, the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. Now remember, we now are those sacrifices. We now are the ones bowing to the ground, worshiping, giving praise to the Lord, saying, truly he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. They repeat this phrase over and over again, continue to make sacrifices as the house of God is dedicated. The priests stood at their posts and the Levites also with music and instruments to the Lord, which King David made for giving praise to God, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Verse 7 says, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for he offered burnt offerings, peace offerings, 
and a grain offering. And this was an ongoing feast. This was an ongoing celebration lasting 23 days. (laughs) If you look at verse 10, then we come to a big scripture many of us have heard. They finally had gone home to rest. In verse 12, it says, the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, Solomon, I heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven so that there's no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We read that scripture all the time and call on those promises and forget the precursor of what we must do. We must repent. We must, in humility, submit ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is his reasonable surface. We cannot be conformed to the world. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are to call on the Lord. That is our position as a priest, to pray, to seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then he will hear from heaven. Then he will forgive. Then he will heal our land. And in verse 15, it says, God's eyes are open and his ears are attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Don't you know the Lord's ears are attentive to our prayers? I feel like I've been all over the place because a lot of this is just on my heart, something that I'm talking about. I haven't put anything together necessarily other than little notes I jotted during worship today at church. And here's what I want to say. Wherever you may be in your walk, whether you are at the epic newness of salvation, just like in the temple when the Shekinah glory of the Lord filled the place, or you're in a place of bondage, that's where I was in 2009. I was professed the Lord as my Savior and as my Lord as a child, and for the most part, was probably just a baby Christian on the milk. Good way to put it. (laughs) I had not matured to that spiritual place. I had not matured to the meat. And maybe there was a time that I did. That doesn't matter. I was drifting away from the Lord in that season of my life. And looking back, it was a place symbolically of bondage, whether in Egypt or whether in Babylon. Just like the children of Israel, we can be enslaved to our sin. And it can feel like that temple is not there anymore. That connection with your God has been severed or cut. But my friend, he is not the one who left. He is not the one who walked away. We were the ones who began walking in our own way, doing what is right in our own eyes. Maybe in your, everything in your life and in your world was decimated and destroyed. You, you may feel like you're at ground zero. And how could God ever take you back? My child... My sister, my brother, we can rebuild. We can rebuild the temple. We can come back. 
we can repent by humbling ourselves in repentance. I've never liked the word rededicate your life. (laughs) I've heard it so many times at church. The true word for it is repentance. It is a not going back to the place where you were before. I came to a place where I was so grieved by sin. I didn't want to hurt the heart of God. Knowing what Jesus took upon himself for me, for the joy of me, he endured the cross, the crown of thorns they pushed into his head, the beatings, the mocking, the hatred and disrespect of a man showing his obedience to his God, to his Father, taking on the sin of the world, taking on my sin, taking on your sin. He endured the cross. And it's shame. Don't let the enemy make you believe you can't rebuild. Don't let the enemy make you think you can't come back to your God. I wasn't exactly sure where this would fit into the talk today. But as we are looking at revival, maybe some of us have never heard of the Ashbury Revival happening. Maybe some of us think we need to get in our car, get a plane ticket, and get down there and experience the Shekinah glory that's filling that place. I'm here to tell you, you are the temple You are a priest. Revival is in you. You don't have to go somewhere else to get it. God's very presence is in you. But it's our part as a believer, our part as a Christian, to read his word, to spend time with him, to be intimate with him, to pray, to wake up early when we don't feel like it to be alone with him, to persevere when we feel like our prayers may even be hitting a wall or that we're suffering is so debilitating and overwhelming and crushing that it's hard to persevere. You are a chosen generation. You are a holy priesthood. You are a holy nation that was called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Watch what happens when you begin to worship. Watch what happens if you pray for an hour, for two. Not that we can do that all the time, but we should set aside time for our God. We should set aside time ministering to him, thanking him, blessing him, praising him, repenting. Because as Solomon said, there's no man who doesn't sin. Revival is in you. Not exactly sure how to close today. So let's pray. God, we've covered a lot of ground. And there's more I would want to read. But I want to focus on this moment of committing ourself to you, repenting. And God, we may need to sit down and begin a fast, and take time to ask you, 
what needs to be removed from our life, what needs to be put on the altar and sacrificed so we are dying to ourselves and living for you, that there is less of us and more of you. Show us what that is, God. Don't let us keep running around with the busyness without taking time with you, God. You are the most important thing. You will be with us for all eternity. And as you say, this expression of worship is a copy of heaven. Show us how to be your pure, spotless bride, ready for the bridegroom. Show us what purity looks like. Burn away everything like Isaiah As the angel brought the coal to his lips, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. But he was purged and cleaned and made whole. You have the ability to do that, to take it away through the blood of Jesus. We ask it to wash over us even now in this moment. We give and dedicate our lives to you, our heart to you, our calling to you, God. May we live out revival in the here and now. And that the flame, that fire, that Shekinah glory, just like they would keep that fire burning on the altar continuously, day and night, that it would not go out, it would not extinguish, Lord, that we would not wax and wane in our affections for you. You say you don't want us to be lukewarm. You'd rather us be hot or cold. So I pray for the heat. God, we want that fire, Lord. Bring your holy fire, your holy presence. Have it wash over us, God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You can fill out our contact form on the website at bountifulliving.net or send me a direct message on Instagram at bountiful underscore living.